you never expected to survive this long, did you? <laughs> you know, it is an absolute fact. It's an absolute fact that every person at 15 believes he will never live to see 21. And that if he does, he's going to be blind. Or be flicked, you know, afflicted with some terrible disease and he'll hobble around on a crutch. And then they'll be sorry. Then they'll be sorry. Thank God. And here it is. You're still going strong. Which can be a drag, you see. It's hard to get people to feel sorry for you the way you're looking, you know. Six feet nine, you weigh 216 pounds. Uh, come on, stand up, kid. Fantastic bummer of a night. I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm plugging along. You know, it, it's one of the things about rain and walking in the rain. And uh, I must say that I have a uh, philosophical objection to umbrellas. Now, I don't say psychological. It's philosophical because this girl once hit me with one. And uh, ever since that time, I, I've uh, kind of, you know, umbrellas. I don't know what it is. I get nervous around them. Boy, she gave me a shot. I'll never right back of the right ear. And I, it caught me off guard completely. And I figured I was making time, you know. And the next thing I know, I get that umbrella. It was a Malacca cane type, you know, with a big knob on the end. And uh, so I, I don't ever carry umbrellas, see. And they, I, I say you can divide humanity into, into really two very basic types. The kind that carry umbrellas constantly. And the others. Now, the guys that carry umbrellas constantly also believe in stockbrokers. Uh, they tend to uh, believe in many things of that type. Uh, another thing they believe in, they buy insurance, a lot of insurance. And now, there's many a guy who feels that if he gets enough insurance, he won't die. <laughs> he's, he's being prepared. <laughs> oh, we're living in interesting times. The pharaohs thought that, too, you know, they... They went out and they made these fantastic pyramids. It didn't help them one damn bit. They wind up on late Boris Karloff movies. That's about all, you know. It hasn't hasn't kept much going there. But the, the great tourist attraction. Maybe someday your collection of of insurance certificates will be a great tourist attraction. People come and you'll have them on the walls and and they'll have them framed and all and and what you left behind, you know. And and I'm I'm struggling along up on Sixth Avenue. You've seen the rain is coming down tonight. 
And the one bad thing about rain is it, is it tends to make your mind go in directions that it shouldn't go. It really does. In fact, Edgar Allan Poe made this, he made this point several times. Almost all of his stories take place in a driving rain. Uh, this is also true of, of, of Arthur Conan Doyle, that almost every uh, mystery that involved Sherlock Holmes began with rain driving against the windows of 221B Baker Street. And he and Watson were sitting in the digs there, and, and uh, the rain kept pelting down, and the clop, clop, clop of, horse, of horse-drawn handsome cabs pulling up to the door, and a shrouded lady in black scurried to the rain. And the clatter of the doorknob, you know, the whole thing, see... Now, if that had taken place at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday with the sun shining down, the same thing would not hold through. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Now, that dog in the middle of the afternoon was just a plain mutt. But at 2 o'clock in the morning in a driving rain on the moors with his teeth shining in the dark, and that wild, unearthly howl screaming out over the heather. My God Almighty. I mean, it's different. So this city looks very different at night. In the rain. And so I, I walk out in the rain. See, so I'm plugging along. I'm plugging along 7th Avenue just about 20 minutes ago in this driving rain. And the, the street is littered with uh, defeated umbrellas. The wind is whistling, see, and there they are, the dead soldiers lined up. And, uh, if <laughs> and if there's any if there's any great hobby that I would like to suggest for some of you, it's, it's to collect dead umbrellas. New York would be a great place for it, you know, all different carved handles and plastic handles and Chinese handles and Eurasian handles and all kinds of groovy handles, but each one of them is dead. Each one failed in his moment of, of test. And the guy probably carried that same umbrella for ten years. The one night he needed it, when the wind is howling along 8th Avenue and the rain is coming down, he says, I got an umbrella. And he puts it up and Pugh! gone. That's worse than having no umbrella at all because it was a false cover. Yes. And now the election is over. And I'm walking along in the rain. You know, there's, there's, there's big excavations there on 7th Avenue, down around the 30s, down in the 20s. They've got all these big plywood fences up. You know, you walk along under these dripping things. And people have scrawled graffiti all over the place. And you can see these McGovern posters peeling off. Already they have the look of, of a period piece. It's fantastic what just a few hours will do. Each election, incidentally, I believe, has its built-in déjà vu anyway. And uh, nothing is more déjà vu than a defeated candidate. It's a, it's a, it's the hopes and blasted dreams of a, of a, of a beleaguered minority is always a. It's always a sentimental thing, see, and, I, and I'm, I'm pelting through the rain down there. And there was one, one fantastic poster, see, and I, and I stopped to look at it in the rain. And it said, Youth Vote. They had reprinted some little columnist uh, bit, and it was made into a big poster. It says, Youth Vote expected to swing New York and several key states to McGovern. And it had it's the whole thing, see, this columnist according to figures and students versus... Uh, Indians versus Eskimos living in uh, Bergen County and various other things. He'd, he'd come up with the idea it was going. And I, and I walked through the rain. I thought to myself, you know, 
There's another blasted myth of our time, the youth vote. What happened to the youth vote everybody was talking about? And, you know, <laughs> ten years from now, guys are going to ask about that. They're going to read about it in the history book. and say, what was the youth vote, Dad? And it said, me. I said, gee, that's right, you were a youth then, weren't you, ten years? You were the youth vote. The youth vote went the way of the mythical farm vote, which has <laughs> always been a myth. But uh, I, I thought, you know... If, if McGovern, I, I, I just know that the ten years from now, some kid is going to be digging in the closet. And, you know, down in the basement of the house there, he's going to be looking through the cupboards of all the junk, you know, where all the old dead uh, overshoes go and, and the busted tennis rackets. You know, the, the junk closet. Every house has a junk closet. It's stuff for some reason you don't want to throw away, but stuff you have absolutely no use for. And it's like the Sargasso Sea. It's the guitar you once got for Christmas. I mean, I know a guy that got an electric guitar once for Christmas, played it 12 minutes, and then discovered it took fingers and uh, took talent. And it has 700 watts of audio, and it's been in the basement ever since, along with a lot of other blasted dreams. And so some kid 10 years from now is going to be digging in the closet, see? And uh, 10 years from now, 1982, 1983, and he's going to come up out of the pile of old old tennis shoes and busted tennis rackets and stuff, he's going to come up with this button. It's a big blue button, and it's got a white slogan on it. It's going to say, We Want George. And he's going to pull this button out of the pile, see, and he's going to go walking into the next room, and there's this old man sitting there, you know, watching TV. And he's going to say, Hey, Dad, I found this button. The old man looks up, Oh, well, what button? Is this button? I found this button in the, in the closet. Who was George? George, George. Oh, George, of course. Oh, God. George, and in his head, you can hear the faint, the faint sound of an ancient election. The waving flags and the banners. The demonstrations and the cheers. And he won't really be able to picture how George looked. He just remembers that he was fanatically for George. And they say, George, yeah, George, oh, God. Oh, they don't have politicians like they had in those days. Kids, you wouldn't understand who George was. Things are different now. You kids don't know how tough it was. Oh, we really had it tough in them days. I'll tell you everything was going on in them days. Oh, did I ever tell you about the time I was, I was pinched in the student riot outside of Columbia? <laughs> oh, yeah, but... You kids don't understand. We really had it tough in them days. George, let me look at that button. Yeah, oh yeah. What was her name? Marsha, I remember. Yes, Marsha from Florida Road. Oh God, I remember me and Marsha. I'll never forget that day. Yeah, and Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem, I haven't heard of her in years. God, I wonder whatever happened to Gloria. Gloria Steinem and Bella, that, that one with the funny hat, yeah. Oh, God. Kids, you just... You just missed the great time in our history. I'm glad I was there. I was there. Yes, every election carries with it its inbuilt deja vu. 
probably out there tonight, there are still dedicated Adley Stevensonites. Probably if you look close enough, you'll see a few dedicated Tom Deweyites. And even way out in the boondocks, there's a few old codgers that still got their sunflowers. Alf Landon. And by God, they remember their moment in the sun when they marched high and the bands played loud and plain. That's it. <laughs> you like that, huh? This is WOR New York. Uh, we got. All, by the way, that brings up a lot of things. You know, uh, uh, there's nothing. Speaking of uh, of instant déjà vu, uh, I don't think there's anything uh, that does it more than election. You know, I'm going to say now after the election that uh, basically I think one of the reasons why we all dig elections is because an election is very similar in some ways to a major sporting event, a major sporting event, one that involves everybody. It's a contest. And ultimately, that's what a sporting event is. It's a contest. And, you know, all sporting events don't involve one group of guys knocking down another group. Look, look at how we got involved a few months ago with Bobby Fisher. Do you remember Bobby Fisher? Already he's disappeared into the mists of uh, nostalgia. I'll bet half the people don't remember who Bobby Fisher was. Now, Fisher, Fisher, Fisher. Bobby Fisher. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Wasn't he the guy that uh, won those gold medals at the Olympics? Swimming or something? Yeah, he's he's joined Mark Spitz in the past, Don Hollander, and uh, <laughs> you don't even know who Don Hollander was. Well, Don Hollander was the Mark Spitz of just a couple years ago. That's right. You don't know. Well, I do, right? And so time does this to you. And and the the curious thing about elections are that they are very definitely a time milestone in the, all of our lives, and a big traumatic one. People measure their lives in, in some ways by sporting events. And the, this is the, 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 uh, the election has a lot in common with major World Series. You know, guys still get misty-eyed over Bobby Thompson. And they can't remember the wife they were married to then. <laughs> I can't really quite remember her face, what she ate for breakfast. But they can remember Bobby Thompson. And they can remember the voice of Vin Scully, and they can remember, they can remember Red Barber's voice. They can remember just the way, just exactly the way, Robbie Jackie Robinson took a lead off first, the curious pigeon-toed walk. But they can't remember how their kids walked. Now that's not to put those people down. That's the way we are. <laughs> we, I say, and the key word is we. And you're no different. I mean, when you when you're when you're a kid, you tend to think you're going to be different. No way. Already, there's nostalgia about McGovern. <laughs> and uh, you know, speaking of of, uh, of uh, instant déjà vu, there is nothing sadder than to see a big, uh, defeated election curling, fading poster in the rain of a defeated candidate. But there's something even sadder than that. It's the name under his. The one who was defeated for vice president. He is really forgotten. How many of you can remember who ran for vice president under Barry Goldwater? Now, there's a piece of trivia. <laughs> In fact, nobody could remember when they were running. That was one of the problems they had, which I suspect might have been Shriver's problem. Shriver, is it Shriver? Yeah, Shriver's problem, too. 
Now, now, all right, if you, th who is it? I'll, I'll award a brass figligy with a bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who ran for vice president under Goldwater. And don't tell me you were too young. That was 64, friend. <laughs> okay. All right, who ran for vice president under Richard Nixon in 1960? He was a defeated vice president. Who was it? Aha, now there's a, there's a great deal of soul-searching here. <laughs> who, ran for, who ran for vice president under, under Adlai Stevenson in 1956, you history students? And remember, he ran twice, Stevenson did. Who were his vice presidential candidates under him both times? All right, that's only that's only one. You've got fifty percent. There are two. Stevenson ran twice. <laughs> so you see, uh, the, these uh, these these moments of and 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 the 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 thing about elections, of course, is that is that uh, after they're over, uh, a few short months, it seems, you can hardly remember your in your you know your excitement over them. And that's true of almost all major sporting events. Uh, very few people can remember the Super Bowl game that they plotted uh, for months to see. And they, in fact, generally by noon of the next day, they've pretty nearly forgotten it. <laughs> and so these great events uh, are, are, have, a, have an, inbuilt, uh, an inbuilt eraser in a strange way. And, and before every election, you know, it's interesting, uh, I, in my experience... Uh, practically every election, well, every election that I can remember, it was always said before the election that America was now at a turning point. And uh, large numbers of people said before every election that I can remember that if X is elected, they were going to leave the country. <laughs> I have never yet known one to do it, but they all said if X was elected, they were about to leave the country. And this is all part of that that uh, that curious feeling of do or die or or imminent doom that uh, that follows with even sporting events. I know many a guy who, uh, who you know who who uh, is, is practically willing to commit suicide if if his team loses the series. But you know, years later he can't remember it. He just talks a little bit. We got a couple of commercials here <laughs> we've got to do, and uh, it's funny how many people we've, we've got. Thirty-seven different names for who ran under Nixon in 1960 have been called in already. 37 calls, 37 names. You know, after a long, hard day at the office, friend, I'd like to re recommend the House of Chan. We're doing a commercial here. You know, nothing like uh, r relaxing in a Chinese restaurant after a hard day at the office with a sinister Eurasian girl, you know, who you picked up from the office pool. It's kind of, a, kind of exciting. And uh, for those of you who have never been down to the House of Chan, it's uh, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. It's a great place. And incidentally, they're open uh, seven days a week. And Monday through Saturday from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m., the House of Chan is a new cocktail bar which serves free, and this symbolically enough, hot Chinese hors d'oeuvres. Now, I don't know what a Chinese... The word hors d'oeuvre is not a Chinese word. It certainly isn't the... Chinese that spoke uh, the Mandarin Chinese around Hessville, Indiana, but uh, nevertheless, they, <laughs> they're serving free hot Chinese hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> so it's down at the 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, and you'll find the food is good. The people are nice. And uh, do you have a little uh, dingling in there? Yes, indeed.
I beg your pardon, madame, but may I speak to the Red Baron of Lufthansa German Airlines? You may inform him that the ambassador from the Republic of Marzipania is here. I'm sorry, sir, but the Red Baron is in Tokyo, hiring Japanese stewardesses who speak foreign languages for our Far Eastern routes. Nothing is too good for the Red Baron's passengers. Yes, well, I have come to lodge a formal protest with the Red Baron. His Lufthansa German Airlines flies to more than 66 countries in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa, even Australia. This is true. Lufthansa is one of the world's biggest airlines. Then why doesn't Lufthansa fly to my country, Marzipania? Right now, the only way in and out of Marzipania is by bus. And if I had not missed last week's bus, I would have been here sooner. Mr. Ambassador, just where is Marzipania? That's just why we want Lufthansa German Airlines to fly there. If anybody can find it, Lufthansa can. 73, 73, 73. See the 1973 cars, hundreds of them all under one roof at the Greater New York Automobile Show in the New York Coliseum. The most impressive showing of brand new U.S. models ever assembled. Exciting imports, too, at the supermarket of the auto world. See, compare, and price the newest things on wheels. After you eye them, buy them at the show or your dealer's showroom. Bring the family for a carload of fun and excitement at the Greater New York Automobile Show, New York Coliseum, now through November 12th. You know, he's a kindly sounding announcer. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, stop at the American Motors exhibit in the New York Auto Show on Friday the 10th of November. Well, you give it to me. That's all right. We'll, that's all right. Well, then we'll play that thing. Come on, Jerry. You cannot follow an auto show with an auto show tag. You got it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we have another one here that's about the auto show in the future. We'll, we'll put the tag before the spot here. And it is stop at the American Motors exhibit in the New York Auto Show on Friday, November 10th, and see Big Tex Ritter in person and hear Tex is singing for the American Motors people. Hi, this is Tex Ritter again for your New York, New Jersey, American Motors dealers. And they're all going to be at the Greater New York Auto Show November the 4th through November the 12th at the New York Coliseum. You'll see why AMC sales are up 46% when you see the star cars of this show. AMC Gremlin, Hornet, Javelin, Matador, Ambassador, and the show-stopping Trans AM Victory Javelin AMX. You can own this show car because it's on sale at every AMC dealer's showroom. And your AMC dealer has money-saving tickets for you for the auto show. Get your ticket and get a look at AMC 73. Coming on strong. See your New York, New Jersey, American Motors dealers now. Texas, and a lot. tell them... Tex, uh, stop it, will you? Tex sent you. Tex, you're getting awful pushy. I'll tell you this, old Tex, for an old... An old chicken kicker out there. Tex is getting awful loud, too. Ain't the Tex Ritter I knew. Used to drive around the old pickup truck all the time. Chew tobacco and spit it all over the floorboards. Well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> he's uptown. But uh, uh, elections, uh, to me, elections are... are I, I'm, I'm disappointed it's over now, see, because uh, you have to wait another four years for another big dingling. And uh, they're really exciting. And people, uh, the, the bloom comes to the cheeks of everybody. And another thing about every election, too, not only does everybody uh, of a certain group say they're going to leave the country if X is, is elected, they also predict eminent disaster for the country if Y is elected. That's the concomitant thing. Well, now we're done. It's all over. 
and yet it, it goes on and on, which shows how little faith uh, most of those people have in the country. Uh, it's fascinating if they believe that one election out of, uh, you know, 250 years can totally destroy the country, then that country is not on a very good basis. That's all i got to say. And uh, that, uh, I'm sorry. And also, people tend to overestimate the power of the president. Uh, they believe the president is something like a king. He can get in and he can, he can do all these things. And uh, any president, any ex-president can tell you how easy it is to not get stuff done. <laughs> when you have, uh, you know, 96 guys sitting in the Senate smoking big fat cigars and eating pea soup and hollering, I mean, it's not easy. No way. Oh, you wonder what that, uh, that comment about pea soup was? Well, all right, I'll have to explain all my esoteric American references that in the Senate, uh, the very famous Senate uh, restaurant where, where the senators eat, this is in, the, in, the, in their own private restaurant, which they get to by a special circuitous route, uh, they, they're very famous for their bean soup. Uh, and if you have ever had the privilege to eat bean soup in the Senate restaurant, uh, that's like, you know, that's one of the great uh, uh, achievements to, to be invited by the club to have bean soup at the club's restaurant. And uh, on alternate weeks, however, due to, uh, due to a, a strong pressure from the dried pea industry, uh, they are now serving pea soup. So... <laughs> So uh, yeah, you're, you're learning these little things. That's what you come to this spot on the dial for. This is where you really learn what it's about, you know, life. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, all right, I'll ask you another question of uh, all the uh, history buffs out there. Who ran for vice president under Alfred M. Landon? Or was he running for vice president when he was running for president? I mean, uh, no, the, I'm just asking you a historical question. We assume that... that very few people who are listening tonight were actually of voting age or, you know, doing anything to do with Alf Landon. That's a long ways ago. But seriously, who ran for vice president under Landon? And, and another question, you know, did you know that Landon has become a sort of a cause, not a cause celeb, he's become a favorite among certain campus groups. He, it's like living camp. It's somehow, that's the campus group's uh, direct connection with the Bonnie and Clyde world. And, uh, and Alfred Landon has been appearing on various campuses to great and adoring crowds. And uh, his, his uh, symbol was, uh, was the sunflower, of course, and he was from what state? What? Uh, yeah, all right, okay. Why did they pick the sunflower? Well, you don't think that Muskie walked around carrying a pine tree, did you? Because he's from the pine tree state. He did? No wonder he had trouble in the primaries. You know, you can carry a pine tree just so far, friend. <laughs> but uh, but the, now, now, this, this uh, to me, the, the elections are, are fascinating because most of the pundits, have you noticed how quickly the pundits uh, changed when, 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 when returns on any given election? I'm not referring to this one specifically. But before the election... The, the pundits have, when I say pundits, you know, it's the Eric Severide syndrome, where they always gravely view with alarm various uh, trends. Uh, they, have, they have great theses, which after the election they never mention. One of them was the youth vote. I remember one guy did a whole week on the youth vote, uh, conducting his own private polls on campuses. Now, this was going to swing. The, he hasn't even mentioned it. And, and I watched election night. He didn't even bring up the youth vote once. 
<laughs> so, so it's just like the same pundits. Do you remember before we went on the moon? You know, it seems like so long ago when we met, did the first moonshot that very few people remember. I, I'm afraid most people have very little memory, which which uh, bothers me a lot. Because if that if you have little memory, that means you really aren't living much. Uh, to, to as you live and you, as you relate yourself with life and as you engage yourself with life around you, it is automatic that you have memories. A man with no who claims he has bad memories or doesn't have a memory at all is a guy who really isn't very much involved in things around him. He's really not. He's really just half alive, if that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, how many of you remember when we were going out on our first moonshot? Do you remember all the guys that were appearing, very very serious guys? There was one professor, for example, from Harvard who was on the, I believe, Johnny Carson show, Three Nights Running, and he predicted that if, if we landed on the moon, we would sink into 30 feet of dust. Do you remember that pundit? You don't. Well, you're lucky. He's probably making profound comments on other things today. <laughs> and that's the one thing that makes a pundit continue to operate. He operates on the principle that most people can't remember last Wednesday clearly. And so what he said last Wednesday is forgotten by next Tuesday. And he can just go right on blithely making statements. Uh, another thing, another another one. Do you remember the, remember the group that were appearing on TV and saying that if they if they did land on the moon, that there would be profound and, and serious health implications. They would bring back unknown bacteria. You do remember that. I'm sorry about those pundits. They haven't shown up lately. I'd like to interview one of them. You know, see what he's. <laughs> and and I, I've always, I've always liked to interview somebody after the fact. You know, after after the fiasco, and uh, see how he came to his conclusions. And uh, he's, of course, most of them uh, remain diehard to the end, because there are still people today, you know, who believe in the fact that the Earth is flat. There are flat Earthers still with us. So any exploded idea continues to to have a real deep foothold in many people's heads, uh, you know, for centuries, uh, and and it, it takes many many years for that to go out. Uh, for example, there are still a lot of people out in the outskirts of the country who believe that the reason it rains more than it used to, or doesn't rain as much as it used to, or is colder than it used to, or is not as cold as it used to, is because of radio waves. They believe that radio waves do that. Now that was one generation. The next generation began to believe. No, they they believed that it was electrical wires, because that was the time of the TVA. They put up the TVA and all that out there. So they began to believe that the electrical wiring did that, the high voltage wiring. Now there is a group of people who still believe that it's television that does it. I mean, you can't send out them pictures out there in the air without doing something to the air. And now the later generation now believes that it's the atom bomb. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so these these ideas will continue to exist. Uh, and there are still Elf Landon adherents out there. In fact, at one of the sad places, every day you can walk past New York, it still remains the Wendell Wilkie uh, building. Still remains here in New York. And uh, and I'm sure that there's old Wendell Wilkie fans still sitting around there, you know, talking about... Uh, uh, how, still get mad when you mention John Nance Garner. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see, we got some commercials here. Jerry's looking at the list. That's all he's looking. He never, never listens to the show. He watches that damn list. All right, we'll do General Tire. You're getting worse than some people I know here. You're worse than Jerry now. Uh, we have General Tire here, and you know how bad that is. 
Uh, let's see, get set for that rugged winter driving ahead. And, uh, you know, here it is. It's, uh, we're coming into winter now. It's pick a pair of time at your General Tire headquarters. And uh, they have these great snow tires, which are round and they're beautiful. And their slogan is, you go in snow or General pays the toll. Now, let's see. Let's see. In Newark, if you'd like to see these tires, you ask for Ben Robinson at General Tire Service, 857 Freelinghuysen Avenue. Didn't some guy named Freelinghuysen run over in Jersey there? Oh, yes. That's, that's right. It's official. Do you have another one in there for me, Edward, please? Thank it you. It takes a lot to be number one. Now, it's not just that Castro sells top-quality convertible furniture for less. It's increasingly attractive when you understand why. Castro manufactures in its own six factories. Castro sells in its own 65 showrooms. And Castro delivers in its own Castro trucks. Don't miss the outstanding buys in Castro's huge election week sale. You'll save on hundreds of Castro convertible sofas, sectionals, love seats, convertible tables, high risers, and ottomans, as well as chairs, loungers, tables, lamps, and accessories. At Castro, 41 years of know-how goes into the manufacture of every Castro. Castro Convertible. Each features Castro's own patented feather lift mechanism, so easy to open even a child can do it, and you sleep on a separate inner spring or foam mattress for relaxing sleep. Hurry into the Castro showroom now and invest in luxury during this spectacular election week sale. Don't forget, Castro has the world's largest selection of beautiful convertible furniture, three days only at all Castro showrooms. There's an easy fixin' meal that'll please your man. It's a good hearty meal that comes in a can. It's broadcast, broadcast corned beef hash. It's hearty and good. Oh, so good. We use real corned beef that's cooked just right for a hearty corned beef tasting every loving bite. A broadcast, broadcast corned beef hash. It's hearty and good. Broadcast corned beef hash is made with select corned beef, diced Idaho potatoes, and just the right amount of spices to give it that special broadcast flavor. And for more hearty meals, pick up a can or two of broadcast chili and broadcast stew. So make today a broadcast day with corned beef hash the easy way. It's broadcast, broadcast corned beef hash. It's hearty and good. Oh, so good. Hearty and good. Oh, Oh, yeah, that was really a sentimental tune there. Somehow the idea of 14 grown-up people sitting around singing about canned corned beef hash has a certain, uh, has a certain poignancy to it, too. Uh, by the way, <laughs> after all this vocal training, you're singing about hash? You mean to tell me you say you made it, Marty? Huh. A Gramercy Park clause of 64 West 23rd Street in New York says... <laughs> Mr. Just because you're a big slob, I mean, just because you're a big size guy, that doesn't mean that you can't save money on your clothes. Not at all. Even, you know, guys that look like uh, the Graf Zeppelin with feet. And these beautiful clothes actually fit you at Gramercy Park. And not only that, you'll save money, according to the copy here. It says, go right up to the third floor. This is a very scary uh, line. It says, go up to the third floor of the factory building at 64 West 23rd Street. Go through that big iron gate. I don't like the sound of that. A lot of guys have walked through big iron gates and haven't come out. Hear that gate clang behind you, and there you are lost forever in the Elizabethan stretch polyester division. <laughs> Gramercy Park clothes. Uh, can't you just see a, a modern a modern rewriting of the Count of Monte Cristo legend of a guy who's forever trapped in Gramercy Park clothes? 
He's wearing an iron mask. Oh, you know, this it just goes on. 64 West 23rd Street, third floor <laughs> in New York. I'm sorry. And uh, listen, uh, we have one here that begins. I don't know quite how to approach this. It's kind of a sensitive spot with me because uh, many of these commercials come in here with little gratuitous uh, little advices on how to read them. And this one says, read in sexy French accent. Well, you know, that's a... Uh, that's a problem, so I'll try it. It says, if you'd like to enjoy the French wine, it was your meals. See, French tend to slur when they attempt to speak English. They do. They say, if you'd like to enjoy the French wine, it was your meals. But think it's too complicated and too expensive. Think again. That's fair, but not good. Uh, so we'll, we'll switch to uh, the real thing. There's only one thing you have to know about French wine, and that's Alexis Lachine. They select the right wines. Uh, the reds, the whites, and the rosés, and then they pour them in these great-looking bottles. And you don't have to be a wine expert to serve wines. And all your friends will be calling you a wine expert. Many of your friends will say, Oh, Jaime, he really knows about the wine. And uh, all you know is the name Alexis Lachine. And it'll add grace and elegance to your, to, your, uh, to your tasteful table out there in Queens. Alexis Lachine is imported... Uh, by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. Please sing it out, gang. Do you suppose there lived anywhere across this fabulous country a family that has never eaten at Mama Leone's? Maybe there is, and don't you feel sorry for them? Never heard the noise and laughter of our nightly crowd. Never saw their kids light up at the very color and excitement of our decor. Never saw our statues. Never saw our endless wine cellar. And not only that, they probably never saw a parade of food like Mama serves. Oh, sure, they've had Italian food before, but so what? They haven't had Mama's antipasto. They haven't had the cheeses and rich hot bread and the enormous desserts that Mama serves. And finally, they never, ever had main courses that everything else was built around. We seriously suggest if you have a pathetic friend who's never been to Mama Leone's, change his life. Make a reservation for him immediately and let him see what a great Italian restaurant can be like. Take him to Mama Leone's, where strong appetites are met and conquered. Mama Leone's, 239 West 48th Street, Judson 65151. Yeah, the old election is over for four years. <laughs> you know, already, uh, already you, you find that people are, are uh, kind of forgetting it. You know, they're walking on. Uh, it's, uh, that's another interesting thing. People tend to believe that if their candidate wins, they have won a victory. This lasts about 12 minutes. I had a friend, for example, who worked like mad. He got he got all fired up by politics here a few years ago. You know, the guy, he uh, he goes out and, and uh, hands out petitions and all that jazz. He, and uh, his candidate won. And he really was, you know, he was really involved. He'd travel out to Queens and get in these rallies and all that stuff. And his candidate won. And three days later, he lost his job. Not because he worked for the election, just because he was bad at his job. A couple of years later, you know, his wife left him. And I kept saying to him, I says, well, gee, you know, it was going to be groovy when uh, Grubbage got in. And he says, what's that got to do with it? I said, what's got everything to do with it? It's not that Grubbage could have kept your wife there for you, nothing at all. But people tend to believe that personal happiness will come if a certain candidate is in. 
nothing could be further from the truth. That, the, that, that man is, is two sides, I, I'm convinced. And, of course, Plato made this point many times. You know, Fred, he used to talk about it. He was hung up on that politics thing, you know. And uh, that, that there's two sides to man. One is the abstract societal side. And the other is the is the day-by-day grubby side that stands in lines waiting for cleaners to come up with the cleaning. And those two sides are constantly at war. <laughs> and they, they, really, they really are. And, and, and people tend to become uh, very, very bugged by, by the private side. And you'll find a lot of people will get involved in a political campaign because of private unhappiness or discontent in one way or another. And, and, and it gives them a sense of, of, of if, if we can only change it all, then somehow my knee would be healed and, and my glands would start working again. And women would realize that I have these, man, these fantastic cheekbones. And uh, somehow, <laughs> this, is, this is all tied up in elections. And uh, the, the feeling of, of total, uh, uh, total desolation when the other candidate wins, it's like you have been rejected. That's why people cry when they stand around when a, when a candidate's defeated. I mean, some guy that's running for a $200,000 a year office that didn't make it, and some poor little $40 a week clerk standing in the back holding up his little banner cries. Well, this, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a part of the, of the whole uh, little man, big man syndrome. The, the English have known about this for years, and, and they have pointed it out that one of the saddest sights in England is the, is the charmaid sitting and resting next to her scrub pail and uh, the queen goes by she says oh poor dear poor dear she has a very difficult life you know yes <laughs> so weep no tears over Mr. McGovern he'll do alright don't worry and so will Mr. Schreiber he'll do pretty good I'm not sure about you but uh throw in here. Personal note, I'm going to be on the Martha Dean show tomorrow. Yeah, me and Martha are going to kick it back and forth. That's at 10.15 tomorrow morning on, uh, what station is she on, anyway? I mean, you know, Martha Dean, you know, comes on every morning, good morning, it's Martha Dean. You know that show. Yeah, I can't, uh, remember. Yeah, well, it's going to be tomorrow at 10.15. You make sure to, you know, try to make the scene. <laughs> This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith. He's got the news. Now, you here? And this is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. 4.94 inches is not very tall for a monster. 
But that's the amount of rain that's been measured in Central Park up to a couple of hours ago. That rainfall has stopped, slowed, and messed up auto traffic throughout the metropolitan area. Short time ago, one motorist called WR News to say that the West Side Highway's accidents and floods have slowed traffic in both directions between 96 and 170th Streets. Today's rainfall was a record for New York City on any given 24-hour period on a day in November. Elsewhere, flood warnings are in effect for portions of eastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey. The FDR Drive is closed from the Battery northbound to 23rd Street because of floods. Staten Island Rapid Transit System not running trains between Great Kills and Tottenville also because of high water. Cross Island Parkway is another road still affected by flooding, as are portions of the Sawmill and Hutchinson River Parkways in Westchester. Central Park Police Precinct reports the 79th and 86th Street transverse roads are closed. The other two at 65th and 96th Streets are open. Light vehicles are prohibited on the Queens Triborough Bridge because of the high winds. Long Island Expressway remains closed in the eastbound lanes from the Midtown Tunnel of the Grand Central Parkway. Traffic on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway rerouted around 30th Avenue because of flooding. Police are rerouting traffic in the Van Wyck in Kew Gardens because of driving hazards due to flooding. Traffic also being rerouted around Union Turnpike in both directions of the Cross Island Expressway. The westbound lanes of the Interborough Parkway from Metropolitan Avenue to the Brooklyn Line are still closed due to flooding. In the Bronx, the Henry Hudson Parkway is still closed southbound from 239th Street to 231st Street. Travel extremely difficult going northbound. Brooklyn Belt Parkway closed in the eastbound lane from Ocean Parkway to Knapp Street due to fallen electrical lines. It's also closed in the eastbound lane around Cropsey Avenue because of flooding. This was one miserable day. The campaign literature has been swept away and most of the votes have been counted after Election Day 1972. President and Mrs. Richard Nixon are at the Florida White House at Key Biscayne. There, the president will keep at work on some possible cabinet changes and the Vietnam peace negotiations. Mr. Nixon's overwhelming victory over Democratic challenger Senator George McGovern was not passed on to the Senate and House Republicans, or at least not most of them. In the House, the Republicans gained only 11 seats, and five of those were in the South. The other in the Senate, the GOP did win seats from incumbent Democrats in North Carolina, Virginia, and Oklahoma, but the Democrats actually increased their Senate majority by two seats. Such Republican senators as Margaret Chase Smith of Maine, Gordon Allard of Colorado, Caleb Boggs of Delaware, and Jack Miller of Iowa all lost to Democrats. In Kentucky, Walter Huddleston became the first Democratic senator from that state in 18 years, while at the same time, Mr. Nixon was carrying Kentucky by a tremendous margin. Locally, Connecticut's two legislative houses are now Republican-dominated for the first time since 1956. They'll give Governor Meskill the prospect of a more cooperative legislature. In New York State's legislature, Republican gained more seats, but not as many as been expected in the light of the president's landslide. Mr. Nixon carried New York State by more than one million votes. A congressman from the Bronx says... He's now thinking about making the Gracie Mansion scene as a resident. Today, Representative Mario Biaggi, who was overwhelmingly re-elected yesterday, said that he was seriously considering entering next year's mayoralty race, a remark which, by the way, comes as a surprise to virtually no one. Biaggi said that if Mayor Lindsay was his only opponent, then his own election would be virtually assured. 
Congressman Biagi denounced the Lindsay record in office as dismal. The Democratic conservative congressman made the remarks in a radio interview. Biagi yesterday defeated the Liberal Party candidate Michael Blank. Biagi had Democratic, Republican, and conservative endorsement. More news in a moment. Gramercy Park Close of 64 West 23rd Street in New York says, Did you ever wear a polyester double-knit suit? That's the new stuff they're using to make men's clothing of. They're really something. They move when you move, they stretch when you stretch, and they make wearing a suit comfortable. And they have a look. Oh, do they ever have a look. It's a pleasure to be the man in a knit suit. Yeah, sometimes they snag and sometimes they bag, but who cares? They look so good and they feel so good. If you'd like to try out this new thing that's made it so big in men's clothing, here's what to do. You go up to the third floor of the factory building at 64 West 23rd Street, go through the big iron gate and get yourself a new double-knit suit. Open to 7 p.m., Saturday to 6 p.m., Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Gramercy Park closed, 64 West 23rd Street, third floor, 64 West 23rd Street in New York. WOR Radio News Time is five and a half minutes after 11 o'clock.